I said there's victory in that name of Jesus. That is not just something we say, that's something we proclaim. That's something we tell the enemy, we tell those thoughts. That we just speak the name of Jesus. So thankful for our church family and visitors. Thank y'all for coming. Please hang around and, and get to meet us, greet us. And come back next Sunday because our pastor will be back. Brother Diego said, hey, uh, how you feeling? You okay? You need anything? I said, I need Pastor Green to come back. <laughs> this is not an, a light task at all. And I'm so uh, honored by the opportunity to try to give you a word this morning. So if you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Ezra. If you're like me, you're not a Bible scholar, and uh, you might need to use uh, some help to get there. So Ezra is a small book in the Old Testament. little backstory about Ezra. Not Ezra, the child that's here. She's probably really going to dislike me now. I've tried my hardest to make friends with that girl, and she just looks at me. She's talked to me one time, and that's the time she's at my house. Playing with my kids. And I was like, what was up? We're good. I thought we were going to be good the next Sunday. She ignored me after that. Man. But Ezra is a prophet in the Bible. And the people of God were captured because of their disobedience. And then they got into slavery and they got exiled. So they got, they got released. And as they were released, Ezra was brought in as a prophet to teach them the ways of God, teach them the Mosaic law, teach them the laws of God to how to live a righteous life. So in chapter 9, we'll go to Ezra chapter 9, as Ezra's teaching the people and learning about where they're at, he came across some things that shocked him. Ezra 9 and verse 1, when these things were done, the leaders came to me, they came to Ezra saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites, everybody, the people, the priests, and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with respect to the abominations of all the people, the Canaanites, the Hittites, all those people. So they haven't separated themselves. But in fact, they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the people of those lands. Indeed, the land of the leaders and rulers have been foremost in this trespass. That means the leaders and the rulers. That, that means the, the people in charge of stuff have been the first ones doing it. And then jumping down to verse 15. O Lord God of Israel. Ezra had been getting to pray and he tore his clothes and ripped his beard out and hair out. And he was set in amazement at the sin of Israel. And he's praying, saying, God, have mercy on us. Because you, you put us in, in bondage because of, uh, we messed up, and then you got us out, and then we messed up again. He's like, there's nothing we can do. And in verse 15, he says, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. For we are left as a remnant. You actually didn't kill us. Here we are before you. It is our guilt. Somebody say guilt. Though no one can stand before you because of this. We can't even stand before you. God, we did it. 
we're guilty, we did it. And then in verse or chapter 10, the next chapter over, 10 and verse 1 through 3. Now, while Ezra was praying, while he was praying and while he was confessing to God, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children, everybody, gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And one of the men came and said, you know what? We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the people of the land. Yet now, there is hope in Israel. Somebody say, yet now. There is hope in Israel in spite of this, in spite of all this sin and this gross thing that we did against God to offend you. God, man of God, there, there's hope. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who are born to them and everything. Let's just put it all away. According to the advice of my master of whatever Ezra says to do. And those, who trim, and those who tremble at the commandment of God. And let it be done according to the law. God, we did it. God, we're guilty. But there's hope. We did it. There's guilty and hope. And just tell us what to do. Just tell us what to do. If you would, lift your voices and hands and let's pray over this service today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your anointing. God, your word is holy. I pray that you would let every heart and mind receive your word. I pray that you would anoint me to give the word of God according to your purpose. I pray that we'd receive it. Let us be changed, inspired, encouraged by your word today and for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, everybody say amen. You may be seated. There is a very very heavy spirit I felt in this place and summed up in one word guilty guilty the people of God were captured enslaved and they got free and then they still turned their backs on God Ezra finds out what they were doing and he was just appalled by the absolute trespass not like a little bitty sin they were they were mingling with the enemy and taking their wives and kids and living like they lived, even though they just came out of bondage for that very reason. They were absolutely guilty. He finds out what they're doing, and everybody confessed that they were guilty. See, sometimes when we're away from God, we end up doing some things. If you're like me, when you're not where you need to be in God, or you backslide, you end up doing some things that you never thought you'd do. And you look at it, and you feel absolutely ashamed. We go farther than we thought we'd go, commit things we never thought we'd do. In fact, we do the very thing we said we would never do. I'd never do nothing like that. And then one day we find ourselves guilty. See, for a little while we, we do this thing where we try to like do it but not admit it. If you're like me, you're, you know, you, you're living in sin but you're acting like you're a saint. And we don't necessarily, we feel a little bad but we don't really feel guilty until we're in the presence of God. Then we're like, mm, yeah, I'm not going to church today. 
yeah, I don't want to be around the people of God. I don't want to be in that environment because I feel guilty. We feel guilty, and rightly so. We, we definitely feel guilty. And I want to come to encourage us today that normally guilty is a bad thing. But God showed me it's good to feel guilty. It's good to feel guilty. The problem isn't feeling guilty. The, the problem is when we try to hide it. When we, when we get to this point that we feel guilty and the enemy says, oh, you're guilty, so let's just cover it up. You know, when we sin, the first thing we actually do is that try to hide it. It's a natural thing from day one. From day one. I have a three-year-old daughter. Leave fruit snacks on the table and see what happens. Bam, gone. And she knows. She'll do this thing where she'll put it behind her back. And I'm like, I'm up here. I can see you. You're not hiding it. I, I see. It's easy to see. And she's just. I'm like, dude, I see the package. It's blue. Like, right there. But in Genesis 3 and 8, what do we do? What does humanity do? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And God called on them and said, hey, where are you at? What are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you? Like he didn't know, but he knew. Kind of like I know about the fruit snacks. I know, like, what you got? Nothing. Oh, we heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. We sin, we trespass against God, and we hide ourselves. We hide our guilt. The enemy wants us to hide our guilt. Shame is the twin brother of guilt, and they love to go hand in hand and just cover it up. You know what? You, it's so bad, you need to hide it. Don't tell anybody. When you're sinning, Separate yourself. When you backslide, what's the first thing you do? Stop coming to church. Stop going around the people of God. You stop connecting with God. You separate yourself from God. We separate ourselves from God. Happened all the way in, in Eden, and it's still here today. We do something we shouldn't do. We say something we shouldn't say, and we feel embarrassed, and we tuck our head, and we say, I'm ashamed of that. We don't want to tell anybody. We want to pretend that it's fine. We, we just don't want to talk about it. We sin and we say, no, I'm not going to say nothing because why? We don't even, that's just how we feel. It's not even a good reason. It's not even a logical thing. Well, you messed up, so well, I guess we're afraid of the punishment. Because, see, we, we assume guilt as a, as a destination, as a spot, as a punishment. Like when you go to the courthouse and they declare you as guilty, we see it, see it as like a final thing. But no, see, when we sin, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. That means we got somebody on our side. It, it doesn't stop at the sin. The, the guilty feeling, the guilty conscience, the prick of the spirit is made to expose us. See, we're not supposed to hide our sin. In fact, in the Old Testament, this, the same principles established. There was a guilt offering. You were guilty. That means you either 
you didn't know you did something, you realize, oh, you know what, I touched a dead body. Nope, didn't know was those, that person was dead. Went to go check on them, they're dead, oh, I'm, I'm, un, I'm unclean. Or you, you murdered somebody, you know what, you're unclean. You did something, either knowingly or unknowingly, you did it. And the Bible says there is a guilt offering. You need to make a sacrifice for that. When you mess up and you are guilty, God says, come here. Now, I'm a parent and I'm saying, Jordan, come here. You put that voice, and she's like, mm-mm, right? Because it's like, I'm in trouble. She'll ask me now, Jordan, in trouble? Jordan, in trouble? And I'm like, mm, yes, yes, you are. Why did you do that? She's so, sometimes she's so sweet to her little sister, and other times I'm like, what are you doing? Why would, no, stop that. Stop. And I'm like, it blows your mind how, why, why are you pulling on her hair like that? The other day she was just sitting there, they're playing nicely. And then she just reached over and grabs Kiana right here and just starts, like, yanking on her head. And I said, what are you doing? Come here. And sometimes we think God's the same way. He's going to punish us. We think God says, you messed up? Come here. And that's not really, not really how God looks at it. When you mess up, God says, Come here. Let's fix it. Oh, what do you mean? Uh, God, I, I'm, I'm afraid. No, no, come here. It, it's okay. Come here. See, yeah, you did it. So bring it to God. Don't hide it. We can't get to a place where we just continually hide our stuff because then we just stay separate from God. We don't hide our guilt because maybe it's that very guilt that's going to save you. Maybe it's the guilt that's going to keep you out of punishment of sin. Because if you're still living and breathing, there's still hope. Yet, there is hope. Well, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done, and neither does God, because his grace is sufficient for you. There's enough power of God to forgive any sin. You don't know. I don't know. God knows, and he still said, you know what? I still chose you. The officials came, and they confessed. The people came and said, yeah, we did it. Their sin actually helped save them. Now, I'm not preaching that new age nonsense. Don't even go there. Don't go there. I'm not, I'm not saying that we'll sin. You need to sin so you can be saved. Paul preaches about that wicked mindset. I have some friends that would tell me, well, I, I need to sin. That way, otherwise, the cross is, I mean, why did Jesus die if I ain't sinning? I said, Paul spoke against that. So we're not saying this is a license to sin and go ahead and, and do whatever you're going to do so that way, you know, somebody's, they would say, well, somebody's got to sin, might as well be me. Otherwise, what would Jesus die for? That's nonsense. That's a lie that's wicked. Okay, I'll make sure we're clear on that. that there, God does not like sin, okay? God is completely against sin. In fact, sin will send you right to hell. I know nobody may want to talk about that in Austin in 2023, but I'm telling you, sin will send you absolutely to hell. Sin will send us to hell. There's nothing when you get to judgment that's going to save you after that. We bring our sin to God now so we don't have to bring it to him later. God showed me that if you bring sin now, then I forget it. But if you don't bring it now, then I'm going to remember it. At judgment, I remember your sin that's not confessed and repented and forgiven. Excuse me, and forgiven. But sin can help 
save you guilt. And the Bible is almost the same word as sin. It, it indicates an idea of punishment, that I'm guilty, I've sinned, I trespassed. And sin, interesting thing about it is we associate that as the enemy's tool. The enemy caused me to sin. The enemy did this, and we, we, we have sin in our lives, we have guilt in our lives, and we just give Satan all the power. Because we sin and then we hide it. We cover it up. And the problem isn't the sin because God already dealt with that on the cross. Jesus said, hey, you sin, I took it. I'm good with that. But we want to hide it back from the God, God, you can't handle this sin. I don't want to give you my sin because I'm ashamed. And that's not really how God approaches it. In fact, sin that trips you up, done right, messes you up. You trip up and where do you land? Right at the feet of Jesus. You mess up, you get broken, and you go right in the hands of a loving God. Oh, you know what, God, I messed up. I tripped and I fell. Now, God, I, can't, I, don't, I messed up, and now I know I'm not as righteous as I thought. Now I'm not as good as I thought I was. Now I'm not as holy as I thought I was. You know what, I, I can't do this on my own because, look, I've messed up. God, I need you. What is awesome is that the, that the very thing that hell uses to try to condemn you and send you to hell where he belongs actually will lead you right to the cross if you do it God's way. Sin will take you right to the cross. Well, it's going, no, it separates me from God. No, it doesn't. It takes you back to God because you know you're a sinner and you need the grace of God. You've got to have his help. You've got to have his strength. And if you don't, yeah, you will go to hell. But, man, I got my, my sin says, you know what? No, that's me. I, I got to go back to God because I cannot do this. Amen. Mm. Bible says godly sorrow works repentance. Godly sorrow. He convicts you. The spirit of God challenges you. Say, you shouldn't be there. Shouldn't say that. Shouldn't be with that person. Shouldn't go there. It's like, you know what, God, I repent. Sin actually can make you change the direction you're going because you feel that guilt and that shame. And that's, that's what it's intended to be. It's not supposed to be a destination where you just sit there in depression and anxiety and fear and say, well, God, I messed up, so I'm worthless. So look, no, no, see, that's all the enemy talking to you, saying, oh, you messed up, so you're not worth it. Look what you did. That's not how God talks. That's how we talk to each other. We look at our past and say, this is my past. This is my record. So I did this, this, and this, so now I am that, that, and that. I don't sound like God. We love to look at the past. Enemy constantly looks at the past and says, look what you did, and now that is what you are. Especially when you know you did it. Sometimes when we're living for God, yeah, we weasel out of it and we pretend like we're holy. But other times, you do some things that is just blatantly guilty. And it's like, yep, I'm guilty, and everybody knows it. And sometimes those are the hardest to deal with because now everybody knows you messed up. You're pregnant out of wedlock and oh, now everybody knows what I was doing. It's like, oh, man. Ain't no more hiding it, pretending like ain't nothing going on. You're guilty. Sometimes the law catches you in the physical law that we live in. And it's like, oh, well, why aren't you been to church, brother? Oh, you were in prison for what? Oh. All of a sudden, the drugs that, that were recreational now become a habit that you can't control. The thing you control now controls you, and now you, you can't hide the fact that you're addicted. 
And hell loves to show up and say, this, you were an addict, you were always an addict. Interesting thing about hell is, guess what? Satan is not all-powerful and all-knowing. So all he has, the only reputation, all, all the resources he has is what you've done. All he can do is look absolutely backwards and say, where where you been at? What you been doing? Oh, okay, so that means that's who you are. He loves to look backwards. He has no, no forethought. He can't see into the future. He don't know what God called you to be. And got to, God did, Satan does not know anything about your future. All he can do is dictate your future based on what you did. And that is a lie. He could just say, well, you did that, so that means you're going to do this. No, no, no. God says, oh, you did that? That's okay. Because, see, I see something different. And we're like, God, I don't see that. People say, well, I don't see that about you. That's, God says, that's okay. I know the past and your future. I made you. I called you by name. You belong to me. So you know what? You made a mess of things? That's okay. Come on. Look, I like messes. I can do messes. I'm good at cleaning. So he can say, oh, that's what you did, but I see where you're going. No. So all that sin that, that hell wants to condemn you with, yeah, hell wants to condemn you and just beat you down and say, stay in this place of guilt and shame and depression. That's what depression is. You know, on day one when you feel guilty, that's not depression. Day one, you feel guilty and you, you mess up and you're like, all right, you know what, I can do better. And day two, you're like, ah, I can do better. And day 15, you're like, man, I can do better. But by day 365, you're like, man, I just I'm tired of trying. And by day 450, you're like, man, what's the point? And by day 600, you're like, man, I quit. You know what? Why? I can't even do this anymore, God. Like, you know what? This is just who I am. This, this is who I am, God. You made me like this. Not, you just accept your sorrow. That's, that's flesh sorrow. Because when you're no longer repenting, you're just dwelling in that place of depression. And you're like, yeah. I can never... That calling you heard a long time ago, when God first touched your life, you're like, I just, it's not even a point. It's a faint whisper, even if at all. You come around the people of God, and they're like, hey, praying for you. I still see greatness in you. You're like, no, I don't. Sometimes the reason you weep at church is not because God's moving on you, but because you feel so terrible that you're like, "I, I missed it. I missed it. You just get stuck in this place of depression. Where it's a constant place of guilt. Yeah, I did it. You're right. You did. But your guilt is not a destiny. Your guilt is only meant to get you back to God. It's a good thing. You feel guilty. That's okay. You did it. I know. Admit it. Yeah, you're right. You're wrong. It's okay. Not that the sin is okay, but it's okay that you did wrong because there's still a loving God waiting on you. There's still a loving God waiting on you. There's two groups of people in this place. One that says, you know what? When we mess up, that separates me from God because we know better. Because we lived for God before, because we know about God, we know about grace and mercy and the spirit of God. And we said, yeah. I can't ever get back there. 
We have this ideology that when we mess up, God leaves us because we actually know God. And then there's the other group of us that don't know anything about God. We're new to this. What is this thing called a church? Who's that guy called a preacher? Who's Moses? And no, I don't know nothing about this thing. And those people say, I have too much of this stuff you called sin, so God doesn't want me. When you first come to God, you're like, really, God? You want this? People pray for you, and you're like, yeah, I can't accept that. Yeah, I don't know who you're talking to. You either have know and have tasted and seen that God is good, and now you turn your back on him, and you, you have sin in your life, and you, you don't want to admit it, and you're just like, well, I'm just going to hide. Or you're like, you know what? God, I, I don't even know nothing about you. All I know is I don't qualify because look at my life. When we start looking at, you start preaching about, people start talking about this lifestyle and how these men and women live, and I'm supposed to be that? God, I'll never get there. And we just discredit ourselves right from the get-go. Says so God doesn't want me. Oh, really? What about Paul? What about Paul? He killed Christians for a living. Oh, what about Peter? An absolute wreck of a man full of anger and jealousy and contention. Oh, what about Mary? Yeah, she was a prostitute. But your sin's too great. What about Jacob? He literally had to have his name changed because he was such a deceiver. His whole life was nothing but a lie. His blessing, lie. His authority, lie. His inheritance, lie. Everything about him was a liar. And he had to get to a place where he said, you know what, God? I am a deceiver. I'm going to stop running, and I'm going to just fight with you here in the middle of the wilderness. And God finally changed his name. Or David, man after God's own heart. Yeah, when he started. And then he was a liar, murderer, cheater, adulterer. Just David, the king? Yep, he was a king and did all that nonsense. You have too much sin to get with God? No, that's an absolute lie. The best example of all is what about me? What about that person in the mirror? I know know what I was. I know what God delivered me from. I know the deception and the habitual habits of sin or degradation I was in that I couldn't seem to break. So I know I, I don't have to know everything you're going through, but I know God can deliver you. Because he delivered me. I can give you Jesus because I met Jesus. It's okay to feel guilty. Because that's where you can start getting back to God. The enemy says, get away from God when you are guilty. But God says, come closer when you're guilty. Example of this is the disciples. Two disciples. Not just random people in the Bible, disciples. They were both chosen by God, following him, underneath his leadership, mentorship. They're with Jesus Christ. They're hanging out with him. Both of them were disciples, and both betrayed God, and both were absolutely guilty. 
The difference is how they handled the sin. Matthew 26 and 75 is Peter. He betrayed Christ. The moment that rooster crowed, he said, oh, shoot, that's me. Uh, Yep. Before that, he didn't have no issue denying Christ. No, that's not me. He didn't feel guilty until that rooster made a sound, and then all of a sudden that guilt just hit him right in the face. And then you have Judas. All of a sudden Christ died, and he's like, yeah, I think I made a mistake. Matthew 26 and 75, and when Peter heard it, what did he do? Wept bitterly. He ran right back to God. He ran right back to God. And, but then Matthew 27, chapter later, 3 through 5, what did Judas do? What did Judas do? He said, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned. How did he know? How did he know he was condemned? He said, seeing that he was condemned. By who? Not by Christ, because he still sat at the table and ate with him. Was remorseful and brought the money back, or brought the 30, silver, 30 pieces of silver back to the chief priest and elders. He brought it back. He's like, oh, he tried to, tried to fix it. He tried to fix it. He tried to fix it. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, oh, that's not my problem. You see to it. That means you deal with it. He went to the priest. Now, these weren't godly men. These were just men who pretend to be holy. And he got advice from them and said, hey, hey, I've sinned. He went to them with his sin. Went to the world with his sin. Went to himself. Go ahead and pull that back up. Verse 4. He said, I sinned. And they said, that's not my problem. What does that have to do with us? You go deal with it. Anybody that tells you to deal with your sin by yourself is lying straight from hell. To not talk to your pastor, to not talk to men and women of God, that is a deception straight from hell. Because that's trying to separate you under yourself. Don't listen to that voice. When you're alone, say, well, I probably shouldn't talk to pastor. I shouldn't talk to those men or women because they're just going to condemn me. No, that's not. We're going to love you back to the cross. Because such, uh, as a sinner, that, that, that's me. I'm the same, and, and we're a body. And then verse 5 said, and then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed. He separated himself and went and hanged himself. The condemnation got him. The guilt got him. The guilt, he didn't let the guilt get him back to the cross because he didn't go to Jesus. He didn't go to the kingdom. He went right here. He went to his people. He went to the world. And that mental thing, well, if I did something wrong, I got to go repay it. You did something wrong, so you got to repay it. That, that isn't evil. What, what do you mean that's evil? See, you're guilty. And when you think for one second that you can earn the love and mercy of God by what you do, the Bible says now you made the cross of ill effect. You did, 
the cross is pointless to you. God showed me this, that I did the same thing. Like, well, God, I, I messed up and I got to get right to, to serve you. I got to get some things right before I live for you, God, because the, right, the way I am right now, I can't, I can't do this. I'm not where I need to be. I need to get right first, God, and then I can serve you. Why is that evil? Because now it's like, all right, God, I'm going to give you, you know, my stuff for your stuff. It's like an even trade where, okay, God, I've, you know, if I ascend to level five, I'm going to get right at level five, and now we're even. Now, God, you know, I messed up, but now I got right, so now I deserve you. Now I can be used by you because I'm right with you, God. Now you can bless me because I've earned it, and it becomes all about you. It's a pride thing. We don't want to talk about it like that, but that's the truth is that you think that you can earn God by your actions. And that's not Bible, and that's not Scripture. Because we need God. A hundred percent. We can't do anything on our own. Zero. No ability in our own can get us where we need to be with God. We can't live right to, to please God. We are sinners. We are weak in our flesh. And we need the Spirit of God to live for God. And we begin to say, well, God, I can... I can fix this. I can fix this sin. And then when I do, God, now you can use me and bless me. We think that hell lies to us. Our flesh lies to us that it's a, an equal trade. It's not. It's not equal at all. We owe God everything. And when we, it's a dangerous place when we start thinking that, well, God, I owe you some, but I don't owe you everything. And we struggle because we haven't completely surrendered everything to God because we don't think we need God in every area. We, well, we need you in our marriage, but we don't need you at work. Well, I, I need you with the kids because, man, they drive me crazy. But I don't need you in this, in this job because, look, I can perform in my skill set. God bless you with that skill set. In a moment, it will be gone. The company will be gone. You can be gone. You break your leg tomorrow. You can do nothing. We cannot get to the place where we think that we're not guilty because we are guilty. Whether you've been in this 50 years or you just walked in there for the first time, we are guilty before a good God. You are guilty. You are guilty. Somebody say, I am guilty. Somebody say, I am guilty. Look at it, look at your past, look at your future, and look at the mirror and say, you know what? I am guilty. But guess what? You are still God's. You are guilty. I am guilty. But you still belong to God. God still paid the price for me. It says while we were yet sinners, he died on the cross. He didn't wait on us to get ourselves right and cleaned up. He said, oh, you're a sinner? That's great. I love you, die for you anyway. Wow, you in the middle of it. Not, he ain't waiting on you to get right, man. He, he's wait. He wants you now. The way you are, messed up, guilty. It's okay. You're guilty, but you are still God's. And that is the only reason you're qualified is because you're guilty.
Because your marriage is messed up, because your mind's messed up, because you struggle, yeah, you know what? You need God. You absolutely need God. You're guilty, but you're still worth it. You are guilty, and that's why you need him. See, hell says you're just guilty, and it likes to define you by your past and say, you know what? You're guilty, and you are a mess. Look, you're a mess. Your life's a mess. You're a mess. Nobody knows it, but you're a mess. And Jesus is like, "Mm, you're guilty, but you made a mess. You're not a mess. You just made one. In your guilt, you messed up. You did some things. It's okay. I know that's not you because I made you different. I know that's not you because I know. See, God knows you. He knows you're different. Well, I'm trying. God, I just can't. Yeah, I know. Just come. Let me fix it. Let God fix it. It's good to be guilty. It's good to be guilty. So when we admit that we're guilty, we finally get to that realization that, you know what? I am. I am guilty. We stop lying to ourselves. We stop pretending. Stop playing church and say, you know what? I'm I'm guilty. What now? You're guilty. Now what do you do? What do we do with our guilt? What did they do in in Ezra? They said, our guilt, our sin, our failures, we admit it. Hell wants to leave you in a place of denial, deception. It's not that bad. Well, I mean, you've got to understand the situation. I was the king of explaining why I did what I did. Bottom line is, liar, it was your fault. Like, just own it. Yeah, but you got to understand, like, when they did this, one time I was driving. I did not intend to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and confess it. I'm driving. Guys are with me from work. Jose's in the truck. And this guy's in the road. Okay, whatever. And I don't know what was going on in my spirit that day. But I, my spirit wasn't right. Because when he's in the road, I just, people were driving around him. And something rose up in me and said, I ain't moving. And I just parked in the middle of the road. He's walking towards me. And I'm like, he can go around. I ain't about to go around him. Like, a road was made for driving, not for walking. So you get out of the road. He walks up, walks right to the nose of the truck, and then he's like, goes around. I'm like, yeah, you better go around. Like, I was like, and I, tell me why I was mad because he was in the road. Why? Why would, why would I care? And I mean, I'm like sitting at the steering wheel just amped up already, like, mm-hmm, yeah, go. Go. Mm-hmm, keep walking. Keep walking. And he got back to the back of the truck, kind of looped around. I'm like looking at him in the mirror. He said something. And I'm like, what do you, I didn't, get, I didn't hear him. So I saw him say something. I was like, what? <laughs> just like talking about now, I'm like, I was an idiot. And then he hit the, he hit the truck. Yeah, 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 amen. <laughs> it's a brand new Dodge truck. I was like, ooh, it's a brand new truck. I work hard for this truck. Don't you hit my truck? And he slapped it, like kind of the back fender. It's a truck. What's he going to do to it? I was like, oh, you hit my truck. And I was, bro, I was so mad. 
I was ungodly, literally ungodly mad. And it went from him slapping my truck and walking in the road to uh, <clears throat> me getting up out of the truck. Yeah, I, I had the Holy Ghost, y'all. I was living for God. This was not pre-Jesus Christ. And I came up out of the truck. Hey, you know, I raised my voice. And, and of course, he said something crazy. And I, look, man, my old self just came right out. Now, I ain't the one, okay? I think that's what I told him, something crazy like that. Not today. Like, now you you going to keep moving. When you got see me get out of the truck, he kind of backed up. Like, I was like, yeah, that's right, and I got back in the truck. Well, then he came back to the truck, and then he said some choice words to my friend. And I'm like, oh, you ain't going to talk to him like that. <laughs> like, ha, ha. How dare you talk to another grown man, and I'm going to defend his honor? I mean, I'm like, the idiot. And I came out. No, nah, man, I unbuckled the seatbelt again. I got out, and I grabbed him, and I threw him across the whole highway. And only by the grace of God did he survive because uh, when he got back up, he came back over there. And, uh, you know, like in football, you, you take two hands, and you just give him that power shove like, I said move. <laughs> and when I pushed him, a truck went right behind him and missed him by that much. Would have killed him. And when I pushed him like that, and I drew my hand back, all I heard was, I call it the voice of God in the form of Jose. He said, Matthew. And when he said that, something smote my spirit because I knew. Yeah, this ain't. And I got back in the truck, and I was so embarrassed. I was mad because I was like, idiot. And I can still hear his, Jose's voice that it just cut me to my soul and said, Matthew, what you, what are you doing? He didn't say another word. That's all he said. But I felt it was like right from God saying, hey, what are you doing? And I battled with that for a long time because come, you know, the next service, I didn't want to worship or pray because I didn't pray the rest of that week because I was just like, stupid, 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 stupid. You're an idiot, stupid God. Like you're a hypocrite. Like, really, you're supposed to be a man of God. Look what you're doing. Oh, hyphen leader, look what you're doing. Your guy you're supposed to be mentoring, he just saw you trying to kill a man. Like, oh, there you go. Like, I'm just beating myself up like, stupid, 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 stupid. God, you're such an idiot. He kind of got over and thought it was hilarious. So then he decided to tell my twin brother, which is like telling the whole world. <laughs> my phone's ringing. All my brothers. You beat up some guy on the road? What happened? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. And I didn't just, what? Hello? Yeah, Michael said that you, I, I don't know. Uh, do you need something? Yeah, no, what happened? On the, what happened? Mm-mm. Didn't want to talk about it. Get to work the next day. It's like, Matthew, what happened yesterday? I'm busy. It was furious. I'm like, shut up. It's not funny. Told Dulce, and she's like, her first thing, she's like, she was so concerned. She said, are you okay? Like, what? Like, he told me what happened. Are you okay? Like, that's not like you. What is wrong? I want to talk about it. I just refused to talk about it. And for a couple weeks, or no, longer than that, over a month, two months, I dealt with this guilt 
that made me feel like an absolute piece of trash because I let my temper get out of control. I did something that wasn't godly. And right in the middle of that thing, when I got in the truck and slammed the door, I was mad. That scripture came to my mind. And it, it was, I mean, it was clear as day. It's like, a man of God is not supposed to be a brawler. I wanted to say, well, yeah, but God, did you see him slap my truck? <laughs> then I realized how stupid that was, and I was like, I ain't got nothing. I ain't, got nothing. <laughs> I ain't no sense in saying nothing. That's just a stupid, stupid excuse. And I was like, I don't know. And I was just mad. I was just bent up with just guilt. Until I finally realized, yeah, you did it. And Jose would bring it up, and I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. He's like, man, look, it's, it's fine. Like, I get you sin done that, but... You can't live like that. Now, I could have listened to my brothers who didn't live for God. I'm like, yeah, you know what you need to do is go find him. Or think it's funny. Like, yeah, look what I did. But no, I, that guilt, for a while it had me pent up, but it led me right back to God. And I, it was a true humbling experience where I said, you know what? There's no amount of prayer and living for God and being used of God, there's nothing that's going to keep you from sinning except for the grace of God. Oh, so you prayed that morning so then you can do whatever you want that day. No, you cannot. You still need God of every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. It was good to be guilty as long as it gets you back to God. Until we get to judgment, guilt is just a season. It's a temporary place to transform you. Guilt is a curable condition. It's not a final spot. We don't have to live there. It's not a judgment. It's just, it's not. It's good because it gets us right back to Jesus. So we know that we're guilty. And we face it. Now what do we do? You either give it to God or you don't. There's two options. You either give it to God or you don't. Acts 24 and 25. There's two examples in scripture of either giving to God or not. Acts 24 and 25. Paul is in prison. And the governor, Felix, wants to talk to him. And musicians, y'all can come. And wants to hear about this person named Jesus. By his own volition, he wants to know. Hey, Paul, what's up with this Jesus person? What's up with this gospel? This good news, I want to hear about it. Verse 25, now he reasoned about the righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come that Paul just talked about. He being Felix, he's reasoning it. He's absorbing it. He's thinking about it. Felix was afraid. The NLT says that he trembled with fear. He trembled with fear. And he reasoned about this stuff like, mm, okay, this righteousness, living for God, this whole lifestyle. 
I don't know. Another version said he became frightened. You know what his response was? To the conviction of God, to the guilt? He said, go away for now. Get away from me, guilt. Just get away. And when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. See, he was guilty, but he didn't want to go to God. He wasn't ready. He was on his time versus God's time. There was a divine appointment where Paul spoke to him about Jesus Christ, and he said, "Mm, this is terrifying. I don't know how to live for God. I don't, uh, this... This righteousness and self-control, this submission to Jesus Christ, I don't, I don't know about all that. Well, maybe next Sunday. Or maybe Christmas or Easter. Or maybe when life gets a little worse. I, I just don't know. You know, you know I'm, I'm going to put on my terms. I'm going to call you when I, God, I don't need you right now. Because, I see, I'm still a governor. My wife's here. I got this. I don't want to lose this, so maybe I'll just call you later. God, I'm not ready for you right now. I'm not ready. I'm not right enough right now. Maybe I need to fix some things first. That wasn't the will of God. You don't read in Scripture where Felix comes back. Paul dies. You don't come back and talk to Felix again. Felix doesn't call him again. He said, "Mm, it's not. I don't think it's the right time. So the first option of when you feel guilty is kind of push it away. God, not right now. Not interested. I can't. You see my life? I got things going on. And I can't stop all this to do it your way. I, me, your perspective, you become in charge. I'm not right enough. I need to get right, God, and then then I'll call you back. Just not the right time. Your time versus God's time. And we have reason to believe that Felix died a sinner because he didn't know he didn't know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, he knew, but he didn't listen to it. He didn't let that guilt get him to God. See, God loves a, what the Bible calls a broken spirit, an open spirit, a contrite spirit, one that says, okay, God, you know what? Whether my life's together or it's broken, I still need you because I realize that I'm a sinner and I need, I need you, God. But he said, you know what, I, I don't know, I don't need this right now. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. It's awkward. First time in this church, I don't know anybody in here. I don't know anything about the Holy Ghost or baptism in Jesus' name. I was baptized when I was three days old. I, I don't know, I don't need it. I'm just not, not in the mood. I'm hungry, whatever the case is. He just, Or maybe you're just scared. He was, the Bible says he was frightened and said, mm, nah, I don't, let me go ahead and back off. So option one is to just 
push the guilt away. I'm not ready. And it becomes all about you and your timing. And you stretch the grace of God. You stretch the mercy of God. And you're gambling with the idea that you will get another chance. Oh, you better not get that chance. You have no idea what's going to happen in five minutes. Five days. Look at Israel. There was people at a festival. And people just showed up shooting. I'm going to go to ACL today. And then what if somebody, you, you don't know. Like th- You just don't know. Accidents happen every day. You just don't know. But you're like, yeah, you know what? Not right now because I'm not ready. I don't want to. I don't want to. Because you know, the, the fact is, the Bible says there is sin for a season. In Hebrews 11 and 25, it talks about the passing pleasure of sin. Sin is pleasurable. You will enjoy it. But it's passing. Because see, if you like your sin, if you're not ready to get out of it, guilt does nothing for you. If you even feel guilty. You may not even feel guilty. You're like, I'm good with this. I'm good with this life. You don't feel like you're wrong. You're comfortable in your sin. Because you don't even feel guilty for it. You don't doesn't bother you. You don't think you need God. Yet. Yet. Not yet you don't. You're still enjoying yourself so in the middle of your sin, so God can't do anything. He's not going to say, you better receive. No. God's not going to do that to you. He's going to say, hey, I love you. Hey, here's some, here's some guilt. Here's some there's some exposure to my righteousness, and you're like, mm, yeah, no. But if you don't want out of it, there's nothing I can say or anybody in this place can say, mama, grandma, nobody. If you are okay in your sin and you don't feel guilty, that, that, that can let you know where you're at with God. If it, when you commit sin, do you feel guilty or not? Because the Bible says there's a place where we can commit sin and we just get to the point where it's like, doesn't bother us. Where you can sit in a service, you can be exposed to the Spirit of God and you're like, mm, I'm hungry. And if that's you today, I pray blessings on you. I pray that God will touch you and reach you at some point and God would still extend His mercy and grace on you. Because you're just not ready. But that's one option that you can do with your guilt. The other option is in Acts chapter 2, in verse 36. You can stand. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know. Assuredly, like for sure, absolutely, that God had made this man Jesus. This is Peter talking to the people that killed Jesus Christ. He said, you need to know. He goes through the whole from Genesis to to then, like, this was the Messiah. Assuredly, the, the God that made this Jesus, whom you crucified, he made him both Lord and Christ. 
This is the Messiah y'all been looking for. This is what you've been wanting. And you crucified him. You killed him. You messed it up. You did this. And the people could have done what they tried to do the whole time Jesus was alive, and that was stone him. The whole time Jesus is alive, every time he talked to anybody about him being God, or they always want to pick up a stone and try to stone him. But these men were different. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, hey, what do we do? There was no arguing about, well, was he really the Messiah or not? Well, I didn't kill him, but Pilate killed him. Well, uh, Pilate didn't kill us. We voted together. It was everybody. It wasn't just us. Well, I wasn't even there. They didn't debate it. There was no debate. They realized right out the gate, I'm guilty. And they just submitted. Said, you know what? I did mess this thing up. You know what? I have sinned. I did do something wrong. I, I am wrong. When it comes to me and God, I'm, I'm wrong. And they asked the question, hey, what do I do? What in the world do I do now? What do we do? They submitted to the idea that, you know what, I, you, you don't have it all together. You don't have the answers. In the scripture we know so well, Peter began to preach unto them Jesus. He said, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for your sins. You got to get him washed away, man. You can't stay like this. You got to repent. You got to turn away from this lifestyle. You got to do different. And if you do that, God will forgive you and give you his spirit. It says repent and be baptized, everybody. Not just the priest and not just the sinner. It's the whole lot of you, everybody. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You mean in the name that we just killed? Yep. Because but, but I just killed him and he still wants to. Yeah, he still wants to save you. Yeah, you crucified him by your lifestyle, but that's okay. God still wants you. Yeah, you messed up and you feel like you separated yourself from God by your sin. And Jesus said, it's okay. I'll still put my name on you. God, you're... You're going to claim me? Yeah, I still claim you, and I'm going to put my name on you like some luggage that's been lost. You know what? I, I still choose you. That's still my luggage. No, no. Well, this one's lost. It's, it's messed up and damaged. That's okay. I still want that one. That has my name on it. Jesus still put his name on you. He still put his name on you for the remission of our sins. And he promises, yeah, I, and I will give you my spirit. But I hurt you, God. That's okay. I'm still going to give back to you. I'm still going to give to you. It's about that relationship with God. Repenting, being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receiving the Spirit of God. And that wasn't just back then. That's still today. That's still in this place today. That, That guilt that is just hovering over your life. In the name of Jesus Christ, we rebuke it. You don't have to live by that guilt. 
that is not you. That, is, that guilt is only there to get you back to the cross. That guilt is there just to get you to God. That is the only purpose it's serving, not to make you depressed or anxious or angry. You're guilty, and that's good. You feel guilty, that's great. Let it get you right back to God. The altars are open. You can come and pray. And we, what are we going to pray for? We first repent and say, God, you know what? I'm, I know I'm guilty. I know it's me. I know I'm not perfect, and I know I, I know I need you. And I repent, God. I, I can't do this on my own. I, I need help. Because that guilt is not your, is not your destination. That is only a place for you to go through. It's only a season to get you to a Savior. It is only a season to get you to Almighty God where He can restore you, where He can redeem you. It's not supposed to last that long. It's only a a temporary condition to get you right to God where you know Him, where you know Him where you can get a relationship with him. Being guilty is good when it gets you to God. Be encouraged today that the guilt is not not the same as condemnation. Don't be like Judas and and be condemned because God, Jesus Christ said he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He said, I didn't come to condemn you. I see your sin. I know where you're at. But it's not over. I came to save you. The fact that you're a sinner is good because now I I know I want you. Now you know you need me. Now we can have a relationship. If you don't have any sin, then then you don't need me. He said he didn't come to those that were, were saved or that thought they were great. He didn't come to those. He came to those that were broken, those that needed him. And he came to this place today for those that need God, that maybe you need some saving whether you've been a saint forever or you you just walked in this place know that God came for you the guilt is not the guilt is not to condemn you or shame you it's not to make you feel terrible to say God doesn't love you but in fact it says hey God loves you so he's convicting your spirit he loves you and that's why you feel guilty As they sing, let's pray for a season today. I encourage you to ask God what what to do with your guilt. I challenge you, if you really want to submit to God, ask God what to do with it. Because keeping it to yourself and holding it in, it's not what he's after. He wants to trade your guilt for joy. He wants to trade you. He said, hey, you know what, I I can take that guilt. I can take it. My hand is here and extended to you today. Let God 